Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upburnfrisco.com. Uh, I love worshiping the Lord. I love worshiping the Lord with you guys. So thank you for coming this morning to celebrate Jesus with us and happy Resurrection Day. It is a wonderful, wonderful day. Um, I think that uh, if the rulers of this age knew what they were doing, they would have left Jesus alone, wouldn't they have? Because from the womb to the tomb to the upper room and the throne room, (laughs) it is as if they escorted him the entire way, isn't it? He would be given preeminence and highest praise, which... We were giving him some of that highest praise today. Isn't it wonderful, beloved, to know that when we're worshiping, even when we think we're worshiping alone, we're not worshiping alone, but we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. And from generation to generation, the good deeds of the Lord will be praised. And we're part of that wonderful procession of his glory being proclaimed to all of the ends of the world. Isn't this an amazing good news that we are part of, that we have been brought in, reborn, adopted, drafted in into this family. I'm looking not at strangers, but at brothers and sisters that I'm gonna worship with for all of eternity. Look around the room right now. Just look, look around. You're going to see these faces forever and they're going to be even more pretty. (laughs) They're going to be even more happy, even more joyful, smiling, rejoicing. And look, look down at this ground. Look down at this ground. We, do you, y'all remember the dust days when we redid this floor and it was covered in dust? Anyway, look down. It's, it's kind of shiny right now, but one day and forevermore, we're going to be standing on a crystal sea of glass, worshiping God in a never-ending party to Jesus. Is this not amazing? So it's a big day. <laughs> and... Uh, And what I want is, I I don't want a bunch of nice-sounding words to come out of my mouth. I want the power of the Holy Spirit to hit our hearts collectively today. I got kind of wrecked all over again today when I opened up to 1 Corinthians and I saw Paul in two different places say, at one point he says, I don't want anyone's faith to rest on, you know, my my fine-sounding arguments or eloquence. I I want it to rest on demonstrations of the Spirit's power. And then a couple of chapters later, he says, I I, I didn't come with, with, I I don't want your faith to rest on words, but on power. And so today, um, I want us to be present and continually recognizing his presence. He's present with us, we're present with him. And more than the words that I speak, I'm, I'm believing in faith and hope that power for transformation is going to hit us. And as we all behold the glory of the Lord with unveiled faces, today we're gonna go from glory to glory even more, amen? amen. So Jesus, do that. Lord, we welcome you again. Holy Spirit, pray that you would anoint the teaching, Father, that from Scripture you would show us amazing things, you would open our eyes, you would make us wise, you would show us the nature of the Father. I pray, God, that we would be swept up through tears and joy into this beautiful uh, realization, of the, the scandal of, of grace, <laughs> that the highest king would take the lowest place. 
Jesus. Amen. That's really what he did, isn't it? If you look at the trajectory of Jesus, it's like a downward spiral, like getting lower and lower and lower. It's as if he couldn't get low enough. Not only did he uh, empty himself and take on our form, our flesh and blood, and be made exactly like us, but he got below the feet of those who would betray him. And if that wasn't low enough, he descended into the grave. He got to the lowest place below all of humanity so that from that place he would lift us up. It says in Mark 10 that the Son of Man didn't come to be served but to serve. It says that no greater love has anyone than this that he laid down his life for his friends so we know that we are loved with the greatest love of all. All of our faith hinges on this one thing, and it's the resurrection from the dead. If Jesus didn't rise, raise from the grave, then I should go and like find an honest job, right? <laughs> he's, he's either crazy, a liar, or he is the Messiah, right? It's the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but he came to give us life to the full. And so if he, if he hasn't given us life to the full, we can rightly recognize that there is something that we're not fully believing about his goodness and his love in our lives, right? 1 John 3.8 says that Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan, and the worst work of Satan is death. And it says it like this in Hebrews 2.14, that um, we were all in bondage, to Satan through our fear of death. And Satan is the one who held the power of death. And so he was made like us in every way that he would free us from the fear of death by taking that power away. And that only works if he comes back from the grave and says, see, it worked, right? <laughs> and that's exactly what he did, and that's what we're celebrating today. If Jesus stayed in the grave, we wouldn't be able to have faith for our own eternal life, but he didn't stay in the grave, and that gives us this unshakable hope in our own resurrection. It says this in Romans 5, starting in verse 4, it says, we were therefore buried with him. Isn't that interesting, that we were buried with him? It's almost as if he didn't just come to die for us, he came to die as us. We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Beloved, Jesus made us alive. When we were dead in our sins, he paid all 
of our debts, taking the death that was meant for us, fulfilling the law and the prophets, and he disarmed all the powers and principalities, making a public spectacle of them, over them by the cross. If you're a little bit southern and redneck like me, that means that <laughs> Jesus dragged principalities and powers and death itself through the heavenly realms after he stripped them butt naked, yeah. paraded them through the heavenlies so that everyone everywhere in all dominions would know that he has conquered death, that there is nothing higher than him, that the devil threw everything he had at Jesus and Jesus absorbed it all and rose above it. And as a judge, he acted more like a doctor who judges what needs to be cut out for healing to occur. He saw the cancer of our sin sickness and he judged it as the great physician and healed us. But like a father, this great physician took the sickness upon himself because he knew it was the only way that his kids would be freed from this disease. You may feel your heart warming as I say that, especially if you're a father or mother. You've probably looked at one of your kids in a moment when they were sick and you would do anything, including take that pain upon yourself that they would be set free from it, wouldn't you? And that's exactly what he did. When every other God wanted our life, he came along and gave us his. And when all of our debts were piled a mile high, he came and he paid all that we owed. And beloved, this day he is still paying debts. Jesus, after he shook off the shackles of the grave, being compelled by love, he did many important things. First of all, he left the tomb. See, we're not going to be able to find him there. <laughs> and this God, this resurrected God, he's not in an empty tomb. He is in this room, and he is in you. He is present. We are now in Christ, and Christ is now in us. He appeared to Mary Magdalene, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. After that, we find him on the road to Emmaus in disguise. And he's walking with that, those two disciples. And could you imagine being one of those two disciples and having this stranger teach you better than any rabbi you've ever heard in your entire life? You're just walking down the road and Jesus is preaching Jesus from like the point of creation. He's preaching himself through all of scripture. And you have that awesome uh, moment when they realize it was him and they say, we're not our hearts burning within us as he was speaking to us on the road. And that's still how we recognize him today. If there's a moment today when you feel your heart burning within you, just know that it's not me. It's not the breakfast you ate. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory, awakening you to some incredible reality within. He appeared to all the apostles, except for Thomas. They thought he was a ghost, so he told them <laughs> to touch him. 
because a ghost doesn't have flesh and, and bone, as you see I have. And he even, like, double proved it by eating a fish. Like, give me a hamburger. You know, like, I'll show you that I'm not a ghost. A ghost doesn't eat fish. He appeared uh, then to Thomas, old doubting Thomas. Although I think it, doubting Thomas is a, is a tough um, title to give him. I think he was honest, Thomas. And I think that every one of us, if we were honest like Thomas, we've been exactly like Thomas. And Jesus shows up to Thomas just like he's shown up to all of us in our doubt, in our honest searching, in our wondering if this is all real. He shows up to Thomas and says, why don't you put your hand right here? Just, you know, <laughs> he, why, why don't you stick your hand and the, the wound in my side, could you imagine in that moment put it, reaching your hand into the side of the one in whom galaxies are spinning? When Thomas believed, he said, my Lord and my God. He appeared to uh, seven of his disciples on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. This is in John 21. They fished all night without a catch, and Jesus shows up, but they didn't recognize with it that it was him, and so he's like, have you guys caught any fish? And they're like, no. And Jesus says, throw your nets on the other side of the boat, and you'll catch plenty. They caught 153 fish, big ones. Peter, in that moment, was the first to realize that's Jesus. That is totally Jesus' M.O., he makes plenty out of nothing. We fished all night. He gives us one word, and we've got a hundred. That's Jesus, and he throws off his cloak and swims to the shore to meet him, and Jesus restores Peter and recommissions him. Then Jesus appeared to the Mount, uh, apostles on the Mount of Galilee. This is in Matthew 28 and Mark 16. He told them... Um, he also told them about this meeting at the Last Supper. There's a great commission where Jesus tells them, go make disciples. He appeared to over 500 brethren. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. that um, Paul tells us that Jesus was seen by Cephas, by the 12, and then by over 500 brethren at once, which means that he didn't keep his resurrection a secret. There were a lot of people who saw a dead man who was gone for three days, who died in the most brutal way, come back from the grave. He appeared to the apostles. He ate a meal with them. He told them that after he left, he would send them the Holy Spirit and that they should stay in Jerusalem and wait until he came to them and filled them. And then there's the, the famous ascension scene, obviously, where Jesus is talking with them on the mountain. He begins to levitate and lift up into the sky, and the disciples are gazing up into the clouds, and two angels appear next to him and say, what are you looking up into the heavens for? He's going to return the same way that he left. See, Jesus was really intentional when he came back. He, he never changes, and so we shouldn't be surprised by this, but... Um, it's really interesting how uh, a man who never changes can still surprise you. Like, he, he never changes, but the ways he shows up were like, I've ne I never thought you could do that like that. I, I never expected this. Like, you, he's the one who always goes above and beyond. And so Jesus, even after his 
his death and resurrection, he's doing the same kinds of things. He's putting hearts back together. He's giving us vision. He's giving us hope. He's empowering us. And for just a moment, I want to back up to Mary at the tomb for a, for a moment. See, this is the Mary who, out of whom was cast seven demons. Mary, who couldn't not be near Jesus from the moment that she was set free. And even uh, after his death, even at the, 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 the disappearance of his body, Mary is sitting outside the tomb, and there appears Jesus. And Schuyler did such a beautiful job reading the account, and I, I don't want to jump back into it, um, but I want to say something um, about Mary. She was bitter. Her name actually means bitterness. When Jesus found Mary, he found a bitter woman. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever met someone with one demon. They're hard to be around. She had seven. So I'm not sure what she had gotten herself into or how she was even functioning, but Jesus found her at the lowest point of her life, delivered her of all of that inward oppression, set her free, healed her, and then brought her into a community. And here's Mary at the tomb. There's some other Marys in scripture, aren't there? He was born to a Mary. He was anointed into his heavenly ministry by a Mary. Hold on. Every king of Israel up until that point was anointed by a man into his ministry, wasn't he? And then he commissioned another Mary to be the first messenger to the apostles, which means that Jesus was born through the bitterness of humanity, anointed by the bitterness of humanity, and commissioned someone who used to represent the bitterness of humanity into representing the sweetness of heaven to all of creation. There's another place where Mary shows up in the Bible, and it's a town called Moriah, which has the same meaning. It means bitterness. And at Moriah, Abraham, it's that famous scene where Abraham goes to sacrifice his son, Isaac. But what happens, guys? As Abraham was about to kill his own child, an angel says, stop, don't do this. Abraham looks over, and what does he see? A ram, which is a male lamb, with its head stuck in a what? In a thorn bush. And Jesus not only, see, Jesus not only changed the name of Mary from meaning bitterness to sweetness, but in that moment, he changed the name of Mariah into Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord provides. See, the ram that the Lord provided had his head trapped in a thorn bush, just like God spoke to Moses from a burning thorn bush, just like God spoke to Adam of the thorns that the earth would produce, and just like Jesus had those same thorns thrust upon his head, showing all of creation that not only would he carry the curse for us, but if we're looking for a sacrifice, he would be the one to provide it. Amen. 
He shouted in that moment, I've got you covered. See, the Pharisees, compelled by demonized, ritualistic adherence to the law, this covenant of death, they felt that they needed to kill Jesus as a sacrifice to God. They thought that they had to kill God to sacrifice, to appease God, to satisfy God. The God that they worshiped so vehemently showed up in the flesh and they didn't recognize him and so they treated him like the God that they worshiped would want him to be treated. You know, once a year, way back in the day, there's this thing called the the Day of Atonement, and there's the the temple rituals where um, a priest is decontaminated and purified in order to enter into the holy place and commune with Yahweh. And is there a, a free chair? Can I have that chair for a minute? And so every year, this high priest, thank you, Caitlin, beautiful singing today, too. Wasn't it beautiful singing? So let's just pretend like this is the high priest. So he's, he's ceremonially cleansed and cleaned and all the rituals are done and, and he's able to enter the holy place. As long as he doesn't like touch a, a, a dead body or, or anything unclean like in, in the moments leading up to going into the holy of holies. And so he passes through the outer courts with the, the blood and then he goes in, we'll call this the the holy of holies. So he's, he's made it in. How many of you guys would like to be seated in the holy of holies? Yeah? I have actually better news than that. Jesus was tired of this thing here. And by one sacrifice, he made you pure turned you into the room in which he would sit enthroned forever. So now we're in Christ and Christ is in us. Jesus couldn't wait to flip that script. You could see that so clearly when he comes in to cleanse the temple. He's like, we're done with this, baby. (laughs) <laughs> you're now uh, the living temple of God. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen. So we went from being able to occasionally visit his location to being his permanent habitation. So according to uh, the prophecy of, of Daniel, God would set up a kingdom in the time of Rome that would have no end and put an end to every other kingdom. And along comes this upstart named Jesus who has more wisdom and power than all the other rabbis, even though he didn't adhere to any of their ways. He just came along and he had so much joy and freedom and all these crowds were flocking to him. And he was, on top of it, he's performing these miraculous signs and wonders. And so Jesus comes preaching the kingdom and not only preaching the kingdom, but representing the king. He's representing the kingdom in this moment and he is undoing the domain of darkness. And on top of that, he's sending out foul-mouthed fishermen to do the same thing. 
Could you imagine how frustrating that must have been for the enemy to see his, his crafty domain being completely like diminished and torn apart by these just happy, clappy joy people, like just these love messengers going around, how dare you? Like, I had that woman crippled for 38 years, how dare you? I had that, that man laying by the pool of Siloam, how dare you? I had that woman with the issue of blood, how dare you? And, and they're just going around doing good deeds, seeking and saving the lost. How terrifying and frustrating that must have been for the enemy. And so he had to do something about it. But he wasn't quite sure what was going to happen if, if he kills this guy. Have you guys ever heard of uh, jujitsu? It's where, <laughs> it's where you, you defend yourself by using your enemy's aggression against them. And so if a guy comes at you with a punch, you pull their arm, and they end up falling into their own punch. And so it's always using the force of your enemy against them. And so Jesus comes, and everything they throw at him, it's making them fall into their own traps. It's, it's kind of like he's... He's the roadrunner, and the enemy is Wiley Coyote. <laughs> you know, like every single thing this enemy tries to do ends up backfiring. He goes and blows up one of those boulders, and it lands on him. <laughs> <laughs> so Jesus is kind of like, in a way, he's, he's kind of like using uh, jujitsu. He's just walking around in love and entrusting his uh, trajectory and his future into the hands of the Father. And every trap the enemy lays, the enemy is falling into those same traps. And he used rage against rage. He used death against death. He even swallowed up all of our violence. And, and it's, it's a beautiful picture to realize that God wasn't using violence to save the world. He absorbed all of our violence in Christ. There's an ancient writing that uh, dramatizes the moment of Jesus going down in the grave, and it personifies death and the devil. And so the devil is having a conversation with death. Y'all with me? And so th the devil is talking to death and, and says, hey, you know that Jesus guy, I'm, I'm about to send him to you. And death is like, hold up. Is this the same Jesus who with one word snatched Lazarus from my hands as I watched him fly like a bird out of my domain. And Satan is like, yeah, it's that same guy. And death, death is like, do your battle with him up there. Don't send him down here. And Satan is like, ready yourself. It's already happened. See, the, the Bible and the, the history of humanity isn't a story about how to make an angry God happy. It's the story about a happy God winning back his kids and winning his bride. The lengths that he would go to to show us his love. The lengths that he would go to even to prove to us his love. Guys, he, the one guy that didn't need to prove himself came anyway to win us back. 
See, we were the ones that hid from him. He never hid from us. We ran, just like Eve and Adam, we ran into what we thought would be our own freedom, but it turned out to be a prison. See, we got ourselves into prison, and no matter how many people he came shouting to us about get, how to get out of that prison, no matter how many prophets he sent to us, no matter how many judges and deliverers he sent to us, it wasn't working, and he knew it ne- would never work, and ultimately, this father, this Jesus himself, would have to smuggle himself into death. He snuck into the prison that we were stuck in so that he could stage a prison break with us hand in hand that we would walk out together. See, he's not the one who shouts from outside the prison. He's the one who gets in it with us. He's not the one who stands on the other side of the valley of death shouting for us to hurry up. He walks through or crawls through that valley of death with us. And so he got into that prison. And you know, Jesus, he's always praising And you know what happens when saints get locked into a prison and they start praising, don't you? See, what the devil didn't know is that he put a supernova in a confined space. And God doesn't like to be put in a box. It's clear from all over scripture. I want to read a quote that was uh, sent to me this week in a text. It says, uh, Christ's death and resurrection defeats sin, death, and the one who holds the power of death, Satan, the accuser. The cross rips the curtain in two, breaks the wall of alienation that exists in our minds caused by our sinful behavior and reveals that God is for us and has come to heal us of our sin sickness. By his crucifixion, he revealed a love unto death. By his resurrection, he revealed a love stronger than death. He descended into the dungeon of our darkest fears and then rose above them, holding the key to all the hells in his hands. Nowhere is off limits to him now. The man of sorrows has invaded the entire human experience with the presence of God. See, Satan is supposed to know scripture, right? Even when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he's throwing scripture at him. It seems like Satan probably should have meditated on that one scripture that says love is stronger than death. Open to 1 Corinthians 2.8. 1 Corinthians 2.8 says, If the rulers of this age knew what they were doing, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. So who were the rulers of the age? Principalities, powers, demon-incited, religious leaders, demonically-led Roman captors. Like, they, they were the ones who killed the Lord of glory. If Satan knew what he was doing, he never would have sent him down into his domain. 
Because what he essentially did is created a, a powder keg moment or a pipe bomb because love came down into the grave and began singing and praising and preaching himself to those down there. And he knocked the gates off the hinges when he came out, y'all. That's who this king of glory is. Can I have the band come up? See, the enemy who steals, kills, and destroys has tried many times to steal, kill, and destroy us, steal from us. Everyone in here, we all have like stories of pain where we've been touched by darkness. We all have wounds. We all have seasons of life that greatly marked us. We have moments where it looked like we have moments in our life where it momentarily looked like darkness had won. And maybe in this moment, there are things in our life where we feel like darkness is winning. But beloved, I want you to know that if the enemy knew what he was doing, he never would have touched you. He wouldn't have put you in that grave. He wouldn't have put you in that moment where you were abused. He wouldn't have inspired you and deceived you into that addiction. Oh, beloved, if the enemy knew what he was doing, what kind of heaven would be unleashed by you? Can you put up that slide? In about 10 minutes, we're going to take communion together to celebrate Jesus, what he's done, and, and his return. But right now, I want to do something a little bit different, a little out of the box. <clears throat> I want you to pull out your phones, and you can start typing this into a note in your phone, or in, you can write it in a Bible or a note in your Bible. You can. I even encourage you to Type it into an email that you send to yourself. That way it's dated. I learned that from my friend Ryan Crowell. So just type out these words. I'll give you a minute. If the enemy knew what he was doing, he never would have. And then you can fill in the blank. Some, something that the enemy tried to author, some sort of theft, some sort of killing, some sort of destroying that the enemy tried to author in your life. If the enemy knew what he was doing, he never would have. You fill in that blank. And then after, you write, because God. And I want you to write, you're either going to write how God has redeemed it or you're going to prophesy what's going to happen because of this darkness that was unleashed in your life. Just let the worship team play for a couple minutes while we pray and write this out. I'm going to join you because I haven't done it yet myself. In a few minutes, I want to have a few brave people come up and read what they wrote, and we're all going to celebrate what Jesus has done together, okay?
love to have a few people just come up and testify by reading what you've written and just line up here just five to ten of us that uh, after each person reads their uh, redemptive testimony, I would like us to, as a body, with them, shout hallelujah, <laughs> which means praise the Lord, okay, guys? Go ahead, Ken. Now I know how everybody else feels when they're up here. <laughs> Because God will use every situation for his purpose and testimony. Hallelujah! He took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> well, here we go. I've been dying to say this because through the pandemic, I haven't been able to witness or testify. If the enemy knew what he was doing, he never would have tempted me to fall into a 30-year addiction and struck me with a terminal illness saying I only had 15 years to live. Because God pulled me out of the fire, healed me, and now living 26 years and in Christ 16. atonement 
and forgiveness. <laughs> Hallelujah! If the enemy knew what he was doing, he never would have allowed me to be an addiction and beaten by my dad. Because God loves me and he has a plan and a calling for my life. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah! If the enemy knew what he was doing, he wouldn't have taken me out of a worship conference against my will, drugged me and put me in a mental institute for 48 hours to try to convince me that I was mentally ill. But because he did, God is going to use my worship to set the captives free. <laughs> in Jesus' name. If the enemy knew what he was doing, he never would have told me I was always going to fail because God showed me real grace through Jesus and removing that lie. Hey, if the enemy knew what he was doing, he never would have tried to oppress me with fears, depression, and lies about my identity and God's because God met me and sat with me in the pit and has led me out to complete freedom. I'm beloved and he's a good father. Hallelujah! <laughs> if the enemy knew what he was doing, he never would have brought me down into addiction. Addiction of bad relationships, addiction of drugs, addiction of dishonesty and theft, addiction of all things self-seeking and self-pleasing. Because God took the enemy took what the enemy meant for evil and turned it for good. He pulled me out of the pit of darkness and depression and despair and replaced it with a new life in him. Hey! Hey! Hallelujah! If the enemy knew that he was doing, he would have never given my wife the diagnosis of barrenness and sickness over her at the age of 30, seven years ago, because God brought us to himself, showed us his great love, gave us our adoptive daughter, Eleanor, has spoken promises that we still believe for biological children over us and is good and has good for us. Hallelujah! If the enemy knew what he was doing, he would have never taken my job because of a vaccine. Because God has given me more than I could ever imagine or ask for. He has made lean times fat. He has brought milk and honey. Hallelujah! If God knew, if the enemy knew what he was doing, he never would have made me have such a hard time in elementary school because God put me in um, a Christian private school called Cormdeo. <laughs> if the enemy knew what he was doing, he never would have raped me because God loves me and he sent his son to die for me.
for me. And he sent me the love of my life. <laughs> Hallelujah! Can we stand together with our communion cup? Huh. Isn't he good? On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. And after he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. Just raise your hand. David will walk around and give you one. Jesus, we thank you for your body that's broken for us. We thank you that we've been grafted into that body, that we are now the body of Christ. And we thank you for the brothers and sisters, the family in this room, and the worldwide body. We thank you, God, that you've brought us into the faith of the Son of God. In like manner, he took the cup, gave thanks for it, and said, this is the blood of the new covenant. He also says, for the remission of sins. And we all know that the power of the blood is over all sickness and darkness. So let's take this cup and drink it in honor of Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that your body was broken for us, your blood, you poured it out for us. Thank you that you transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. Thank you, God, that we have been redeemed, renewed, reconciled, that we are made like you. You've made us holiness. You who knew no sin became sin for us, that we have be would become the righteousness of God. We worship you and we praise you and we say all of these things in your name, Jesus, amen.